Colleen went back to work, and I finished up my adoption stuff. I tried to find a parent for a two-week-old born in a prison hospital in Utah. I checked on the status of an eight-year-old HIV-positive black girl I had been trying to place for months with no success. Difficult things, all of them. The afternoon was bright in a Crayola kind of way. A simple blue sky, yellow circle of sun outside my window. But I couldn't see any of it. My mind, for some strange reason, was wandering back to the tale Colleen had told me. The tiny child carrying a child like one of those Russian nesting dolls. Babushkas, you open up and find something inside. A child within a child. A mother and a daughter. My mind would not leave what it had only heard. A mother and a daughter. One day before she got sick, my mom gave me the Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret talk. I sat in stunned silence as she spoke of the wonders of being a woman. She showed me where her maxi pads were kept, in the top right-hand dresser drawer, under the fake Ming vase. She told me three times because I was ten and not listening. I was in shock. I cried as she told me the details of tampons, cramping, and clots. I refused to believe my body would bleed monthly. Being a girl was horrible and gross. It was the end of the world as I knew it. First I found a lone strand of hair under my arm, and now this? I prayed it was all some sick joke mothers were forced to tell their daughters. Since she never brought it up again, I decided to forget the whole thing. Then she died. I got my period when I was in eighth grade during basketball practice. I went into the bathroom and saw my stained underwear disbelieving. I was sure I had cancer, hepatitis, or diarrhea at least. I didn't know what to do or who to tell. I shoved some toilet paper into my shorts and finished the game. When I got home, I took a very hot shower, scalded my skin, and wished my mother alive. With no other choice, I snuck into my mother's room, which was now only my father's room. If anyone saw me, I was going to say I needed change for the ice cream man. My dad had a pile of pocket coins on his dresser. I frequently helped myself to them. Once inside his room, I put a chair by the door so no one could get in. No one tried to. I saw myself in the mirror above the dresser, a face full of want and need. I closed my eyes so as not to see my own disappointment and slowly pulled the top right-hand dresser drawer under the fake Ming vase. My eyes opened to a blur of blue. There they were, a full box of Kotex maxi pads right where she said they would be. She must have known she was dying, that she would not be around when I needed her most. She orchestrated this comfort and care from beyond the beyond before she left. I was fourteen the day I first needed a maxi pad. Fourteen. Like Stacy. Why this one girl, Stacy? Why did this tragedy, among all others, sit so stubbornly in my head? I'm not a naive woman. I've seen soul-smashing stuff before. Right from the start, though, Stacy stood out. Why? And why this one kid, this particular story? I had spoken to pregnant teenage girls before. I had spoken to women who were raped, but never a child, raped and pregnant all at once. It was too horrible to imagine, too sickening to forget. And the tragic twist... The inedible icing on the corrupt cake. The rapist was a minister. A minister. A man society tells you is trustworthy. A man you are supposed to love and be led by. A man who should have been safe. A savior even. He was the virtuous villain. It was all too much for me. From the moment I heard the tale, I was hooked. I have many names. People close to me in my life call me Roe, as in your boat gently down the stream. I was born, however, Roseanne O'Donnell, to Roseanne O'Donnell, on March 21, 1962. My stage name is Rosie. At first I hated it. 
I was working in a tiny comedy club in 1980. The comic introducing me was from Brooklyn. Next up, Rosanna Donald, he said, all smushed together like one word. Rosanna Dana, that's how it sounded to the folks in the seat. They waited with expectant faces for Gilda Radner or someone doing an impression of her. Nope, just me. When I got off stage that night, the club owner, a man who looked so much like Richard Nixon, that he legally changed his name to Richard M. Dixon and opened a nightclub called the White House Inn, came over to me and said, From now on, kid, you're Rosie O'Donnell. Rosie, no more Roseanne. It's Rosie, kid. It sings to the moon. And that was that. I don't really feel like a Rosie. Rosie is Nancy Walker selling paper towels, Bounty, the quicker picker-upper. Rosie is the maid on the Jetsons. Rosie is an elderly aunt who forces you to eat decade-old hard candies that live in the bottom of her crusty purse. No, Rosie never fit me. I feel like a row. I know stuff. Stuff I shouldn't. It scares some people. Not me. It started when I was little, before I knew what they were, these ethereal moments, when I'm given information from some unknown place inside me. Whatever it is, tells me, and then I know. Very Shirley MacLaine. My brother Eddie's son was born around the same time as my daughter Chelsea, a beautiful red-headed boy with my nana's blue eyes. He was alert and happy and not able to find a formula that would stay in his stomach. I saw him when he was two months old. I looked at him, and I knew. This baby, my nephew, had cystic fibrosis. No one in my family had CF. No one in my sister-in-law's family did either. Other than spitting up, the baby was healthy. It seems unbelievable, but I did know he had CF. I asked my brother if they had tested the baby for anything, like what, was his response. Cystic fibrosis, I said meekly, and he thought I was insane, as did everyone else, but I knew, in fact, I was sure. The baby was tested.